Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Like I said, I'll probably cry some today. I may lay on the floor. I don't know. I'm just, I don't have it together today, and I don't want to get it back together. We got it too figured out. So figured out, we ain't made any room for the Holy Spirit. And when I seen the disciples in the Bible... They walked around. It didn't seem like they had anything figured out. It just seemed like they burned with a passion for the Holy Spirit, and they just went wherever He went. And when they encountered things, it didn't change. It didn't change their perspective on God. It didn't throw them into a whirlwind of, of uh, negative thinking. It didn't throw them into a whirlwind of poor, pitiful me. I'm sad. I'm depressed. They just, they just did it. And and. There's a difference between the disciples' lives and the Bible that we were called to live at a standard. There's a difference right now between that standard and the standard that's in the Western church right now. Can I get amen? Amen. amen. Not here today to down the church because I believe the church is coming to life. We are seeing revival through our nation. But we can't stop right now. We can't plateau right now. We have to figure out where the disconnect is. So if you're in Psalms chapter 63... Verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And mine's going to sound a little different than yours. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. I want you to really listen to what David's saying here. This is David wrote this psalm when he had been exiled out of Judea. Say, alone. Anybody ever felt alone? Anybody ever felt lonely? Everybody, anybody ever just kind of feel like you're on the outskirts of something? And what's, what's crazy is a lot of times is what I've noticed is majority of the time when believers feel lonely, it's because our, our comfort was in the people around us. It was never in the Holy Spirit. Because some of the greatest men to ever walk this planet were completely alone, exiled, bold and old, and they got greater revelations that shaped history for all of eternity has nothing to do with who's around you. It has to do with where your mind is seated at. If I'm invited to be seated in heavenly places, it don't matter what you do, who's around and where I'm at. I am, I am, in, a, I am in a perfect position to hear the voice of God. Say, we got to hear. Say it again. We got to hear. We have to hear the voice of God. We cannot be believers that don't know what he sounds like. Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, Oh God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this wilderness. I'm lovesick. Somebody say lovesick. I'm lovesick. I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm yearning for you. I'm yearning for your presence. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more. Say love you more. If you could describe your life right now, could you say you're longing to love God more? I'm actually in a place where my greatest desire is to reflect how he feels about me back to him. Bill Johnson said something a little while back, and it is shaping the way I'm building a relationship with my father. And he says, it says in Revelation, uh, I forget the address, it says, we love because he first loved us. He wasn't just telling us that he gave us the ability to love because he loved us. He said, I've actually given you the ability to mirror how I feel about you back to me. I've actually given you the capacity to feel about God the way I feel about you. The way God feels about you, he's given you the capacity to feel that way towards him. The way he feels towards us is not to provoke our emotions. It's to provoke our intimacy that puts us in a devoted place to sit at the throne room of heaven and feed off of the water that comes from our dad. How, when we catch glimpses of how he feels about us, it's not to get me emotionally excited. It's for me to realize that abandonment is my only response. Because when I'm in an abandoned state of who I am, I actually become a mirror that allows me to reflect the Father's goodness. What if our greatest desire was not to impress the person next to us, but to reflect how the Father feels about me back to him? Like I've been given an opportunity to be a mirror and feel about God the way he feels about me. 
when you feel about God the way he feels about you, not because you have the strength, but because you realize you're a mirror, you're not affected by where you are or who's around. You can be alone. It's okay. You can be in exile. It's okay. And I want to bring something into perspective, too, because a lot of times in Western Christianity, our Christianity is very frail, for lack of a better term. And a lot of times we say, well, I'm going through this. I'm processing this. I'm, I'm the, did you know that China is the fastest growing church on the planet and that they will sneak through caves, tunnels, and underground systems to get to one building? And I seen a picture the other day. I'm on this newsletter of a, of a man that was a Muslim that got converted, and now his entire ministry is protecting the underground church in China. And I seen a picture of about 100 120 people packed into a room smaller than that section of the stage. And it was boiling hot, sweat dripping down, and they stayed there for 17 hours begging the preacher when he finished to give them more. Not because they're obsessed with preaching, they're enamored by God. If you, could, if you could look at your own life and say, how could I characterize my walk with Christ? Could you say, I'm enamored by God. I'm captivated by his goodness. I'm literally in a place where my heart is yearning for the one who loves me well. I'm yearning for him. I'm praying prayers like, God, let me love you more. Let me see you in a greater perspective. Because it does away with complacency and frail Christianity when I see God rightly. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, God. I'm energized every time I enter your gates. Say energized. Who's tired? Who's sleepy? Who's, who's caught up in the mundane? I'm energized. Maybe we haven't stepped into his gates. I'm energized every time I enter. Your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power. I drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily I will worship you passionately and with all of my heart. My arms will wave like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence. Somebody say presence. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't say provision. I said presence. Somebody say presence. No, no, no. Not, not provision. Not wealth. Not glory. I said presence. Not provision, but presence. When I come into your presence, it satisfies me like nothing else. Not your provision. Not your provision. Not that you made a way in the job. Not that you gave me more money. Not that you even saved my child. Not that you made provision, but that I stepped into the presence of God. Because the only thing that is guaranteed is presence. Hold on. Moses, when he seen the burning bush in the desert, he walked up and he was enamored by it. It captivated him. And he wondered why the bush wasn't burning up because he was seeing a glimpse of the Father's love. Everybody in this room just caught a glimpse of the Father's love and worship. You caught a glimpse of his glory. And in the midst of it, will you look at it and be, ah, or will you be enamored by it and wonder why it can't consume you too? And out of the intrigue of the presence of God, Moses began to approach it and God said, Stop, Moses. Where you're going is holy ground. Take your shoes off. Take your identity off. Take your pre-made provisions off. Take it off. Because you can't be here. You can't be here. You can't be here with you. You can't be here with what you created. You can't even be here if you don't get rid of you. You can't even stay. You can't even stay. You can't even stay. And out of seeing the burning bush and being willing to take his shoes off, he delivered the Israelites from bondage. <laughs> you know them kids she was talking about? 
that are being molested and hurt and broken and mamas and daddies are strung out in our community, not in Chicago, not in Houston, right here. You pass by mamas and daddies that are strung out on meth with babies at home that ain't, haven't eaten in days and we're walking up to the bush nonchalantly and God's saying, you can't even stay here. You can't even walk in my glory unless you take you off. And we, in self-pride, will leave our shoes on and stand in observation of the glory of God. You can't even stay here. You can't even know what I'm wanting to say unless you take your shoes off. We've kept our shoes on, and because of it, there's kids dying. <laughs> I'm so scared. I'm scared because I've never seen two standards in the Bible. There was not two standards. There was not the Christian that is lukewarm and the one that is devoted. There was not two. There was not two. And what I'm scared is people have adopted a Christianity that really doesn't even exist. And we're, and we're actually comfortable in it. We're in a womb of complacency. All the while, devil laughs at us because we forfeited what Christianity really is. And it's just the privilege to look like Jesus. I'm scared. I'm scared for people that are sitting in churches this morning that have adopted a standard that doesn't exist in the Bible. Those shoes can be tradition. Them shoes can be that was the way we did it. You know what them shoes? Them shoes can even be a testimony that you're living off a of memory. You experienced God one time, and that's as far as your relationship went. You encountered him in a Sunday school somewhere when you were eight years old, and that's as far as your relationship went. All the while, you'll never get to understand why the bush is burning. I told you you'd have to overlook me. I can't, I can't. I can't pacify people anymore because there's not a separation. I've looked people in the eyes that believe they're right with God and look just like the world. Did you know he said we would be the fragrance diffused for the world? You know what it means like? If fruit's wearing a strong smelling cologne, and I sat in his lap long enough, eventually his smell is going to be on my shirt. I can't catch the smell of fruit by standing in observation of who fruit is. I smell like God when I sit at his throne. Christianity has become this building and it's become these people and I'm all about family but you have nothing to do with my Christianity. You have nothing to do with my walk with God. And if this has become the absolute end to the means, it was a means, it was a plug-in, it was a connection meant that I come connected to you out of a relationship with my Father, and we sharpen each other. But if this is your relationship, you can't smell like Jesus. We smell like just like the world, and we go to it day in and day out and declare, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I, I've said the sinner's prayer. I've done it day in and day out. You are lying. We are lying to ourselves. We are lying to ourselves. We can't. You can't give me a scripture. I'll meet you in the foyer and I'll debate you to your black and blue, but you cannot prove to me in the gospel of Jesus Christ that there was a lackadaisical, complacent, mediocrity version of Christianity. There was only one, and it said by men violently press in. It said there's one version, and that there was men and women throughout history that would give their life to it and look persecution in the face and say, I don't care if you burn Turn me at a stake and turn me upside down and crucify me. This is who I was created to be. There's one version. There's one version. There's one version, and it's abandoned to Jesus. There's one version, not abandoned to ministry. There's one version of the King of Kings when he captivates your heart and you begin to sit in the quiet place and you begin to yearn for the presence of God. There's one version. 
There's one version. There's one version. The whole time we think we've got a hold of God and God ain't even in the vicinity. God does not associate with sin. Hear me. He doesn't. It is. It is everywhere in there. God does not associate with sin. He will walk up in the worst sinner's home to invite them into freedom. But he does not associate with Christians that are reamed out with sin, smell like the world, and stamp our own stamp of approval. We've got the gavel in our hand and we think we're the judge. No, we're the ambassadors of the judge's final ruling. I don't have the gavel. I'm the one that exercises what the one with the gavel already said. We are not our own masters. You're not your own king. You're not your your own God. We don't get to make the decisions of what the standard will look like. It's been set. It's been set, Kenny. And I'm scared we widen that. What God said is narrow. God said is narrow. We have made it super wide. And we're inviting people in left and right. And I'm scared to death that there are people that firmly believe they're going to make the gate and still look just like the world. There is not a double standard. I'm here to tell you. Can't even get mad at people anymore. Got agitated with my wife yesterday evening on the way home. And I got in my room and bawled. Didn't look like Jesus. To be Christ-like is to look like Him. Don't claim it if you have no desire to do it. Don't claim it. Because it actually says in the Bible that you're putting blinders on. You have veiled face. To live with sin and think you're close to Jesus. To be mean to people at your job. To be rude. To be agitated, to cuss, to be addicted to things. I'm not going to call certain things out. You know what I'm talking about. We've adopted the world's mentality to a standard that is not God's. We took the standard of God but put the world's contingencies on it. And it's not even faith anymore. It's not even Christianity. It's, it's so far from the Bible. I don't know where we adopted it at. I tattooed a scripture verse on my bicep. Now I'm good. Because God loves me. And now I get to declare everybody in my Facebook pictures that the Lord loves me because I wrote his prayer on my back. My God. Why have we deluded it so far? How? How did we do it? How did we do it and justify it? Man, I'm not mad and I'm not mean. I'm in love. And I'm starting to realize what we adopted is right is not right. It's not okay. Enamored. Enamored means to be in love with, infatuated with, smitten by, captivated by, enchanted with, fascinated by, keen on, taken by, informally mad about, crazy about, wide about, stuck on. Did any of those describe our relationship with God? Then everybody in this building should be repenting right now because we were called to be enamored with Him. And you know what I found out? The closer I get to him, the more I'm enamored by him. But we're so, we're so consumed with life. I made a statement the other day to my wife. I had a busy week and had a lot of things I had to do. Put that in parentheses to the side. Had. And I was making excuses because I could feel. I'm talking about three days. Three days where I wasn't seeking the face of God just in prayer. Making a long time to hear my father's voice. Three days, and I could feel it. I could feel darkness at the door. I could feel it. A lot of you, uh, darkness has been at the door for a while, but you just think it's a friendly neighbor because we took Christianity, put it in a box, and it actually is darkness. So when it shows up, we don't even know it. We're so veiled. We've got a veil and darkness is all around us and we think we're okay because darkness is Christianity now. 
It doesn't look anything like Jesus. It doesn't look anything like the light. It's not invading the darkness. And I told my wife, I said, I can feel it. And then I got up for work and I come over here to pray in our new room back there, to our 24-7 prayer room. And uh, when I did, I walked in and I, I thought I was going to explain to the Holy Spirit what I had to do. Some of, you, uh, some of us have just even stopped explaining. We've over-justified in our mind. And I thought I was going to tell the Holy Spirit what I had to do. And let's go ahead and be clear. I wasn't doing extracurricular activities. I was doing what we would call life. What stuff I have to deal with. That's what we call it. That's what we call it. And Holy Spirit quickened me real quick and said, You didn't have to do anything. You have to stay in my presence. You don't have to do anything. I, I hope your eyes, Holy Spirit, let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our eyes right now, Father God, that we get the have to, need to mentality to do American dream things and neglect the presence of God. Open our eyes to the things we've called necessities that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Open our eyes right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. But we've taken things that we do in life. And because Christianity, actually what we've dwindled it down to, changes nothing, then I have actually adopted a, a, a theology that says God is an addition to what I do as a dad. God is an addition to what I do with my job. My job is the most important thing. No, 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 no. That's the world's mentality. You have to work, you don't eat. I understand that. But that is not greater than the call to sit in the presence of God. If that is your stability scripture that says, I've got to work to feed my family, we missed it. We missed it. We missed it. The most important thing is to sit and drink from the river that flows from the throne room of heaven. My God, what a word about our children. Kids dying of thirst because their parents aren't living in the river. Blowing, blowing. I talked about this the other day. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. Blowing our children's inheritance, leaving nothing for them because we're selfish. Because we're selfish. We've stayed. We've, we've, we've plateaued. We've idled out. Because of it, our children are going to be raised thinking the presence of God is an additive to a life that you're busy in. And our busyness has distracted us from the very reason we were created. <clears throat> Let's go to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, we'll start in verse 1, we're going to read four verses. Everybody okay? Everybody good? Everybody good? Good, I love y'all. God loves us. You know, there's an uh, adopted mindset in the United States right now that says actually to call out somebody or to call something out that is 100% wrong means I don't accept you who you are. Couldn't be farther from the truth. I can love you better than you've ever been loved and approach you and tell you what you're in is wrong. It is not biblical. It is sin, and it's wrong. Because what I don't understand is, and I see it all the time. I've seen Christians, Christians say, we're not supposed to approach homosexuality because you're not accepting the person. What I don't understand is, is Jesus and all of his goodness was absolute love, but came for one reason, to deliver us from what was killing us. Sin kills us. Sin will kill you. If sin stays in your life, you will spiritually die. Not maybe. Not maybe. Guaranteed. And it will separate you from the presence of God. And when we go home, you will not spend eternity with God. That's just the Bible. 
You can't derive anything else from that book. But we can be children, sons, and daughters and understand if we've got it wrong, I need to know. I got it wrong. We've got it wrong. It's okay. It's okay. You know, for five years, I've been a spiritual son to these two men right here, just a spiritual son under them. And every time they approached me and told me I was getting things wrong, I didn't get frustrated and fed up and quit and fall out and you don't love me, you don't care about me. No. You have my best interest in mind and you see something that is polluting your soul and you have to get rid of it. Polluted our souls. Exodus 33, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send my angel. Say angel. angel. Before you. Everybody say angel. angel. I will send my angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Say prosperity. Say provision. Go up to a land flowing with prosperity and provision. Go up to that land. Go up to that land with all my goodness flowing in it. For I will not go up there with you. I'm not going. But go ahead to provision and prosperity. But I'm not going. Go to provision and prosperity. But my, I'm not going. Let's go to verse 13. Actually, I want to read to the end of 4. It says, And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. You know what that ornaments means right there? It was jewelry. It was fine things. It was the things they desired in the flesh. It was all this stuff they were accumulating. And when they heard the news that said, you're actually going to walk into the greatest provision and blessing you can ever have, but God said, I won't be in it, they refused to put their ornaments on and mourn. When's the last time we mourn because our family is not living in the presence of God? When's the last time we mourn? Because you're connected to some children that are getting abused. When's the last time we mourned for anything? Christianity is not just dancing through the lilies, having a good time. We were created for power and authority to live in dominion and set people free. Set people free. We're skipping, hopping, enjoying the blessings of God the whole time. His presence is not even there. Man, did you know when you seek provision and blessings, I know people way richer than I am that don't have the Spirit of God. Provision is not what you were created for. Blessing is not what you were created for. It's a byproduct of presence. Presence is what I was created for. Why is it that they said they were the wealthiest men in the Bible, but they lived in caves? They were in prison. They counted it all joy. They counted. Uh, joyful. Counted it. Oh, don't have nothing. Joyful. Oh, stripes on my back, blood pouring down, being beaten, and they're starting the fire. But I counted all joy. Uh, joyful. Oh, my God, they're starting the fire. They hate me. They want to kill me. Mm, joyful. Think about the difference of our, our mentality of wealth and their mentality of wealth. The mentality of wealth didn't change. We adopted a new mentality. Oh, family's going crazy. I don't have any money. Uh, joyful. Oh, cussed out. No money to put gas in my car. Lost my job. Mm, joyful. Why don't we count like we were created to count and count God? Count God. Count the presence of God. God plus nothing equals everything. He's all we need. But there's a difference when you live like you're in poverty and have all the wealth, is of, wealth of, the, of the kingdom of heaven. We live like we're in poverty and we're malnourished and I'm hurting and everything's going so bad. My God, you know what I'm starting to learn about our persecution in America? We have really bad perspective. We have very 
poor perspective. Because somebody got upset at you because you prayed at work is not persecution. Your tire blowing out on the way to work is not persecution. Come on. Let's get some perspective. If you lose your house tomorrow, count it all joy because you have the Spirit of God. I understand. You're like, well, Kobe, you didn't lose your house. I've lost some stuff. I've been spit on. I've been looked at. I've been cussed out. I've been ridiculed and and griped at. But I have not been persecuted. I used to call it persecution. Now I have good perspective. What does someone do to you when you're already dead? What does somebody do to you when you've died? When you're no longer you, but you're resurrected in the image of Christ, who we were called to be. See, it's so hard to wrap our minds around because God is an additive. He's not everything. It's hard for us to put ourselves in that position where everything about me has to die. Everything about me has to die so that I may be resurrected in the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 through 19 says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now check out how Moses responds. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? Your blessings is not proof to a community that everybody owns a seat in a church is not proof that God is God. Your financial stability is not proof that God is God. Presence. Everybody say presence. You were created to be a carrier of presence, not prosperity, not blessings, not provision. Presence. That is the only separation from the world. Presence. Everybody say presence. God, we have to have your presence. When's the last time you prayed for presence like you prayed for your finances, like you prayed for your kids, like you prayed for your job? When's the last time you sat in a room and yearned for the presence of God? You know, Smith Wigglesworth, A.A. Allen, John G. Lake. Give me another one. I know you know him. Yeah, him. William Seymour. Who's that lady? Amy Simple McPherson. I don't know if some of you know these people. These were people that were so obsessed with the presence of God that they seen heaven come down and set on earth. Amy Simple McPherson in St. Louis, Missouri would pack out a coliseum of 22,000 plus people and they would riot outside to touch the building. Because the presence of God had showed up and they needed healing. So when people got hurt in the city of St. Louis, they would put them in an ambulance and ask them first, do you want to go to the hospital or do you want to go where the presence is? When is the last time somebody sought you out because you were a harboring place for the presence of God? It says that they would riot and beat policemen up just to touch the building. Not to get a seat, but to touch the bricks of the building because they knew the presence of God was there. You are the temple of God. Is his presence there? Do people press in to meet up with you at work because you're manifesting God? Come on, wrap your mind around that. When you ooze the presence of God, people will press their way to get around you. We can't even think about that because too many people at our job have something against us or aggravated, agitated, mad at us. We did something last week. Now we got to go back and apologize. Why don't you carry the presence and be like Jesus and then the world can have freedom and life? If your presence does not go with us, do not even bring us up from here. 
don't move me to the next job. Don't, don't move me to the next job. Don't move me to the next church. The church ain't the problem. You were meant to be the church. The presence oozes out of us. Why are we moving? And God is not there. I had an opportunity come up the other day to do something I've been praying for for a while. And it come to me and my wife like a silver platter out of the sky. And I, I remember getting it. And I said, here it is. Man, thank you, Father. This is going to be so good. I was excited. And I just, I just was. It was something my heart wanted. And I remember the day after going home and praying. And I knew God's presence wasn't in me. But it looks good. It's, it's going to be doing good things. But I had to sit in my office and call a man and tell him I can't do it. Not because it's everything I want, but because God is not there. I didn't tell that man that, but in my heart I knew that's where the presence of God was not at. And I couldn't go. But too often we grab a hold of good things and God's not even there. We didn't even ask. We didn't even want to know. Because it was good. Because I would be blessed. What does it matter if your kids have Jordans on their feet, but their daddy doesn't even know how to pray? What does it matter if your kids have nice clothes, but they can't touch heaven for them? What does it matter if you're rich, but your kids die and go to hell? What does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter if our families go to hell, but we got a big bank account? What does it matter? What does it matter? Why does it matter? Why? Why? Ask yourself why. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. <laughs> Just begin to ask yourself. Ask God, what is it in your life that matters more than His presence right now? This is unorthodox, but we don't care. We want the presence of God. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come reveal in your sons and daughters' heart right now what is it that we've put a greater value on than the presence of God. And now I ask you, Holy Spirit, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I pray you break the addiction and bondage by material thing by a certain standard by living to a certain standard that the world has set I pray today people find their freedom to finally be free to finally live in joy and the presence of God in Jesus name amen if your presence does go don't bring us there for how will the world even know we're yours if you're not there our knowledge of the word is not it's not revelation to the world that we have God. It's Him. It's Him. We're supposed to be temples, clay vessels, full of the presence of God. That if you poke me, break me, do whatever you want, only God's going to come out. We've justified this long, over-exaggerated over, over process that allows me to stay in sin and not look like Jesus and then say, I'm in the process. No, the moment you die, you take on the image of Jesus Christ. Paul got knocked to his back. I don't think any of you killed any Christians lately. He was persecuting the church, got knocked flat back off a donkey, made blind. Three days later, he was preaching the gospel after God opened his eye, and he began to preach the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God began to manifest itself, and people were added to the church daily. Daily. They pressed their way in in the middle of persecution, being beaten and destroyed. Three days. Not six years not nine months, not 12 years, not 25, not 30. Three days. There's no time limit on this thing. But I'll tell you what we have done. We have adopted a sin theology and blamed it on the process when we were created for presence. You cannot live in the presence of God with sin devouring your life. Sin is poison to your soul. If you leave it in there, you cannot be in the presence of God. You can sit around it. You can look at it. Moses could see that burning bush. You can see it. You can watch it. You cannot be a part of it. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Don't get frustrated with me. It's the Word of God. You looking at porn on your phone? 
You looking, you married, you looking at women in ways you don't need to. You cussing people behind their back, you gossiping, you being negative. It's sin. It is sin, and the Word of God is devout about what it means, and it will tear your soul to hell the whole time thinking you're in proximity to God. Just because I'm watching the burning bush does not mean I've heard from God. Moses never heard from God until he took his shoes off. It was the the epitome of the separation between self-made identity and being released into the presence of God. The only way they're going to know where he is is if he goes with us. Shall we be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth? So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Can I tell you, if, if Moses, when God would have said, you can go ahead and go up into blessing and provision... And he had said, all right, and left. He had never got to see the glory. Because Moses didn't go in the promised land without God, the next generation got to go in with him. What if moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas got so hungry about the presence of God that we passed up the worldly promotions But because of it, our children got to live in a prosperity we never have known and did it in the presence of God. I don't care if my kid has to be raised in a grass hut in the dirt of Africa. But if he knows the presence of God, she knows the presence of God, wealthy. Wealthy. Up there in the beginning of these verses, the Lord said to Moses, he said, you can go ahead and go in, and my angel's going to go with you. And I had you repeat angel for a reason. Everybody remember that? Now repeat imitation. Bobby Connor said, don't settle for imitation and expect no limitations. We've settled for a watered-down version of the presence of God, and he's not there. Because we've deemed presence as church location, morally good standards. Somebody didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Because you stop throwing cuss fits does not mean you get to walk in the presence of God. The presence of God is for those who press their way into the kingdom. We've deemed presence as church attendance, as being a better person, I know people that I've met outside of church that have better attitudes than some of the Christians I've met. Attitude is not an indicator of presence. Presence is an indicator of presence. When you press into presence, you sing with presence. You talk with presence. You honor with presence. Somebody say honor. I believe God's going to restore back some honor to some people's lives. They learn how to honor like Jesus. When we are obsessed with presence, it actually manifests itself in all the areas we're actually trying to fix on our own. So we get in proximity by church attendance, is what we believe. And then I begin to go out and try to fix the things that don't look like Jesus. When presence, like I talked about with fruits and cologne, is when I'm sitting next to Jesus, I begin to smell like him. I begin to sound like him. I begin to talk like him. I begin to think like him. I begin to observe like him. I begin to process like him. I don't have to change how I think. I don't have to change how I talk. It begins to change when I spend time with Jesus. Busyness will destroy you because you cannot press into presence when you're consumed with everything else. Our consumed identities, our mentalities consumed by things we have to do, have pushed out the opportunity for God's presence. You want to come play? I got more.
but I can feel the Holy Spirit stopping it right here. I have a lot more. Maybe one day, Pastor, give me part two. I want to read, uh, let's read one more place. It's uh, Philippians chapter 3. Yeah, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation, but I want you to see something in Paul talking right here. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing, through the presence of Jesus. So let all, this is our call today, let all who are fully mature have this same passion. All in this house that are fully mature, let us have this same call to be passionate. Let us have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. If the presence of God hasn't yet gripped you, He's he's about to reveal it to you. Right now, in this moment, He's going to reveal it. We're about to pray, and then I'm going to get out of the way. But we're going to spend some time in worship. And then Josh is going to close us out. But there's no other remedy. There's no other formula for Christianity but the presence of God. But the presence of God. It's the only option we have, Cody. This is it. It's what we were created for. And Paul said right here, if this hasn't gripped you come here Taylor we've always thought of God as gripping us I'm gripping you trying to keep you from dying I'm trying to keep you from out of pain I'm trying to take you away from good things but you know what I've learned I love you. You're created for purpose. The encounters do this. Encounters in the presence of God do this. He just begins to grip us with a loving embrace. And then you know what I've realized? That it's the grip of this wonderful Father that He invites us in relationship and he begins to do like this. And what he's doing is, I embraced you where you were. Now I'm about to show you where I'm taking you. But to do so, and when he begins to do this, what I found out is, it's actually an invitation for us to turn around. Too often, too often, When we get the invitation, he made us feel good where we are, so we just stay right here. But what I'm finding out is, it's through feeling my father's love for me like this. When he begins to move, I just grip him. I'm not gripped anymore. I'm like, Paul, he said, thank you. He said, I'm trying to apprehend that which is apprehending me. I don't, I don't pray because I have to. I pray because I've fallen in love. Some men in here need to lose your pride and fall in love. Need some fathers to, to lose your pride. 
and fall in love. There's some people in this building that have areas of influence and you're walking by kids that are being molested and raped and hurt and broken and parents that are reamed out with drug addiction and the whole time God just wanted you to be gripped so when you walked by they could sense his presence. They could smell his fragrance. And when I begin to stay here, I begin to dwell. No, no, no. I'm not going to be busy. I'm not going to be busy. I'm going to stay right here because I can't move because I can't move because not because I'm being forced but because I'm gripped I'm gripped by the presence of God I'm gripped by his goodness I'm gripped I don't pray for the sick because it's what I'm supposed to do I'm gripped I'm gripped I'm not fearful I'm gripped I'm not scared. I'm gripped. I'm not in a, in a place of you forcing me to study. You don't have to beg me to come to church. I'm gripped. I'm gripped. It's all I want. It's all I crave. I can't be mean to you because I'm gripped. I can't be mean to you because I'm gripped. I can't be negative because I'm gripped. I can't. You can't pull me out of this. I'm gripped. If you can lose your faith, you were never gripped. Now I understand. Now I understand why people die for this. I understand. I understand. I understand. Beat me. Kill me. It doesn't matter. I'm gripped. I'm gripped. Somebody needs to smell Jesus when they meet you. It's revival. It's where God's calling us right now. We've been fasting and praying, not because we've got to, but because we're gripped. And I promise you, what you experienced up here today, thank you, sweetheart. It's not because just, we just threw something together. It's because you've got sons and daughters up here with passion for the love of Jesus Christ. And we've been gripped. We've been provoked. God provoked Josh the other day. We got a building back here. He's getting it ready. It's going to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year with communion cups ready to pray when you get ready because communion with God does not happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. You're not going to fall in it. I used to think being a man was being strong and keeping it together. That's not a man. A man is a man when he embraces God and says, I miss it if I don't have you. You may leave this place thinking I'm crazy. I am. I've lost it. I've lost it. The things of this world don't get my attention anymore. They don't captivate me anymore. And because of it, I'm going to see the glory of God. So I open these altars to you. God is opening his throne room to you today. If you're not gripped, come get gripped. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofclubs.org.